Section 1, Part 2 In 1710-1122, the Minister of the Commonwealth sent me to Egypt, Iraq, Hijaz and Istanbul to act as a spy and to obtain necessary information which would be sufficient for the breaking up of the Muslims. The Ministry appointed nine more people, full of agility and courage, for the same mission and at the same time. In addition to the money, information and maps we would need, we were given a list containing names of statesmen, scholars and chiefs of tribes. I will never forget. When I said farewell to the secretary, he said, The future of our state is dependent on your success. Therefore, you should exert your utmost energy. I set out on a voyage to Istanbul, the centre of the Islamic Caliphate. Besides my primary duty, I was to learn Turkish very well, the native language of the Muslims there. I'd already learned in London a considerable amount of Turkish, Arabic, the language of the Quran, and Persian, the language of Iranians. Yet learning a language was quite different from speaking that language like its native speakers. While the former skill can be acquired in a matter of a few years, the latter requires a duration of time several times as long as this. I had to learn Turkish with all its subtleties, lest the people should suspect me. I was not anxious that they should suspect me, for Muslims are tolerant, open-hearted, benevolent, as they have learned from their Prophet Muhammad, alaihi salam. They are not sceptical like us. After all, at that time the Turkish government did not have an organization to arrest spies. After a very tiresome voyage, I arrived in Istanbul. I said my name was Muhammad and began to go to the mosque, Muslims' temple. I liked the way the Muslims observed discipline, cleanliness and obedience. For a moment I said to myself, Why are we fighting these innocent people? Is this what our Lord Jesus Christ advised us? But I at once recovered from this diabolical thought and decided to carry out my duty in the best manner. In Istanbul, I met an old scholar named Ahmed Effendi. Saying Effendi is a show of courtesy, like use of the word sir. With his elegant manners, open-heartedness, spiritual limpidity and benevolence, None of our religious men I had seen could have equaled him. This person endeavoured day and night to make himself like the Prophet Muhammad. According to him, Muhammad was the most perfect, the highest man. Whenever he mentioned his name, his eyes would become wet. I must have been very lucky, for he did not even ask who I was or where I was from. He would address me as Muhammad Effendi. He would answer my questions and treat me with tenderness and with compassion, for he considered me a guest who had come to Istanbul to work in Turkey and to live in the shadow of the Caliph, the representative of the Prophet Muhammad, alaihi salam. Indeed, this was the pretext I used to stay in Istanbul. One day I said to Ahmed Effendi, My parents are dead. I don't have any brothers or sisters, and I haven't inherited any property. I came to the center of Islam to work for a living and to learn Quran al-Karim and the Sunnah, that is, to earn both my worldly needs 
and my life in the hereafter. He was very delighted with these words of mine and said, You deserve to be respected for these three reasons. I'm writing down exactly what he said. 1. You are a Muslim. All Muslims are brothers. 2. You are a guest. Rasulullah declared, Offer kind hospitality to your guests. 3. You want to work. There is a hadith sharif stating that a person who works is beloved to Allah. These words pleased me very much. said to myself, Would that there were such bright truths in Christianity too. It's a shame there aren't any. What surprised me was the fact that Islam, such a noble religion as it was, was being degenerated in the hands of these conceited people who were quite unaware of what was going on in life. I said to Ahmed Effendi that I wanted to learn Quran al-Karim. He replied that he would teach me with pleasure and began to teach me Surah Fatiha. He would explain the meanings as we read. I had great difficulty pronouncing some words. In two years' time, I read through the whole Quran al-Karim. Before each lesson, he would make an ablution and also command me to make an ablution. He would sit towards the Qibla, Kaaba, the direction which Muslims pray towards, located in Mecca, and then begin teaching. He explained that what Muslims call ablution consisted of a series of washings as follows. 1. Washing the face. 2. Washing the right arm from fingers to elbows. 3. Washing the left arm from fingers to elbows. 4. Making masah, moistening both hands and rubbing them gently, on the head, backs of the ears, back of neck. 5. Washing both feet. Having to use the miswak vexed me very much. Miswak is a twig with which they, Muslims, clean their mouth and teeth. I thought this piece of wood was harmful for the mouth and teeth. Sometimes it would hurt my mouth and cause bleeding, yet I had to use it, for, according to them, using the miswak was a muakkad sunnah, act that Prophet Muhammad would always do. They said this wood was very useful. Indeed, the bleeding of my teeth came to an end, and the foul breath that I had had till that time, and which most British people have, was gone. During my stay in Istanbul, I spent the nights in a room I had rented from a man responsible for the service in a mosque. The attendant's name was Marwan Effendi. Marwan is the name of one of the Sahaba companions of the Prophet Muhammad. The attendant was a very short-tempered man. He would boast about his name and tell me that if I should have a son in the future, I should name him Marwan, because Marwan is one of Islam's greatest warriors. Marwan Effendi would prepare the evening dinner. I would not go to work on Friday, a holiday for Muslims. On the other days of the week, I worked for a carpenter named Khalid, being paid on a weekly basis. Because I worked part-time, that is, from morning till noon, he would give me half the wage he gave the other employees. This carpenter would spend much of his free time telling about the virtues of Khalid bin Walid. 
Khalid bin Walid, one of the Sahaba, the Prophet Muhammad, is a great Mujahid, a warrior for Islam. He accomplished various Islamic conquests. Yet his, Khalid bin Walid's, dismissal from office by Umar bin Khattab during the latter's caliphate saddened the carpenter. Footnote When Abu Ubaidi bin Jarrah, who was appointed in Khalid bin Walid's place, continued the conquest, it was realized that the reason for the conquest was the help of Allah Ta'ala, not Khalid himself. Khalid, the carpenter for whom I worked, was an immoral and extremely short-tempered person. He somehow trusted me very much. I do not know why, but perhaps it was because I always obeyed him. He ignored the Sharia, Islamic law, in his secret manners. Yet when he was with his friends, he would display obedience to the commandments of the Sharia. He would attend the Friday prayers, but I am not sure about the others. I would have breakfast in the shop. After work, I would go to the mosque for early afternoon prayer and would stay there till late afternoon prayer. After late afternoon prayer, I would go to Ahmed Effendi's place where he would teach me such lessons as reading Quran al-Karim, Arabic and Turkish languages for two hours. Every Friday, I would give him my weekly earnings because he taught me very well. Indeed, he taught me how to read Quran al-Karim very well, requirements of the Islamic religion and the subtleties of Arabic and Turkish languages. When Ahmed Effendi knew that I was single, he wanted to marry me to one of his daughters. I refused his offer, but he adamantly insisted, saying that marriage is a sunnah of the prophets, and said that the prophet had stated that, A person who turns away from my sunnah is not of me. Apprehending that this event might put an end to our personal dealings, I had to lie to him, saying that I lacked sexual power. Thus, I ensured the continuance of our acquaintance and friendship. When my two-year stay in Istanbul was over, I told Ahmed Effendi I wanted to go back home. He said, Don't go. Why are you going? You can find anything you might look for in Istanbul. Allahu Ta'ala has placed both the religion and the world at the same time in this city. You say that your parents are dead, and you have no brothers or sisters. Why don't you settle down in Istanbul? Ahmed Effendi had formed a compulsive dependency upon my company. For this reason, he did not want to part company with me and insisted that I should make my home in Istanbul. But my patriotic sense of duty compelled me to go back to London, to deliver a detailed report concerning the centre of the Caliphate and to take new orders. Throughout my stay in Istanbul, I sent reports of my observations monthly to the Ministry of the Commonwealth. I remember asking in one of my reports what I was to do should the person I was working for ask me to practice sodomy with him. The reply was, You can do it if it will help you attain your goal. I was very much indignant over this answer. I felt as if the whole world had fallen on my head. I already knew that this vicious deed was very common in England, yet it had never occurred to me that my superiors would command me to commit it. What could I do? I had no other way than to empty the drug to the dregs. So I kept quiet and went on with my duty. 
As I said farewell to Ahmed Effendi, his eyes became wet, and he said to me, My son, may Allah be with you. If you should come back to Istanbul and see that I am dead, remember me. Say the Surah Fatiha for my soul. We will meet on the judgment day beside Rasulullah. Indeed, I felt very sad too, so much so that I shed tears. However, my sense of duty was stronger than my emotional feelings.